Hello and welcome to the Vet Professionals Cat Cafe podcast series. My name is Sarah Caney. I'm an RCVS specialist in feline medicine and founder of vetprofessionals.com. I've worked as a feline-only vet for more than 25 years and have been an RCVS specialist in feline medicine for nearly 20 years. I decided to set up a virtual cat cafe during the first COVID-19 lockdown in March 2020 as a way of keeping in touch with cat owners and sharing my tips on cat care. The following podcast was recorded as a Cat Cafe Zoom webinar on the 13th of May 2021 and you can watch the recording on the video tutorial page of vetprofessionals.com. Look under the helpful info menu for video tutorials and then click on the Cat Cafe tab. In this session I talk about stress in cats at home, why this is an important topic for owners to be aware of, how they can recognise it in their cats at home and what steps can be taken to help reduce stress in cats at home. Thanks for choosing to listen to this podcast. I hope you find it interesting and of help in your pet care. Lovely to see you all. Thank you for joining me. And we're having a bit of a theme on stress, uh, as you know, and this week's session and next time session go, I think, nicely together. Um, but for today, really concentrating for the most part on stress at home, which is probably not something that perhaps everyone has has had to think about or maybe wondered about in their cats. Some of you probably have for, for various reasons, um, but for any of you that have maybe not thought about this, I hope it will be a, a useful session to really just shed a little bit of light on what we know about stress in cats, how we might spot it, how we can avoid it. And as with ourselves, stress in cats can have a massive impact on health in our cats. And we're coming to learn that more and more and more that for many different illnesses, um, stress plays a really important role, sometimes in triggering an illness, sometimes in exacerbating it, certainly it interferes with recovery, uh, the immune system, all the sorts of things that we know are affected in ourselves as well. Um, so that's, I think, good reasons to talk about it. I'm not going to talk today about the acute stress. So acute means short term stress. Um, I'm not going to talk about the sort of short term stress, for example, that happens at a vet visit or on a car journey, going to the boarding cattery, those sorts of things. I'm really going to focus on at home. But as we all know, stress does actually have a massive impact on our cats visiting vet clinics. And that's something that I know many of you will worry about. I, I from a cat owning perspective, also find very stressful taking my own cats into the clinic as well. And the, the cat on this slide is a cat that's breathing with the mouth open. So it's sort of panting really just as a manifestation of stress. And often um, this is something that's well, it, it's it's uh, quite distressing to see. We don't see cats typically breathing with their mouth open. It can occur with really severe illness, so respiratory illnesses, for example, severe heart failure. But in this cat, it's just because this cat is super duper stressed at being at the vet clinic. So we'll talk more about that next time in terms of what are the consequences of stress at the vet clinic and how can we absolutely minimise those to the best of our ability. 
But what I wanted to focus on today is, is as I've mentioned, the home situation. And as I've already said, there's, there's lots and lots that we are learning um, very much about the importance of stress in terms of its role in other illnesses. And a really good example of this is an illness called uh, feline idiopathic cystitis, which probably many of you know quite a lot about because it is unfortunately the most common cause of lower urinary tract disease in cats. So this is cats that typically are straining frequently to pass very small volumes of urine. That urine might be bloody. Um, the poor cat, like this cat in this photo here, it's not even in the litter tray because it's just constantly feeling the need to go. And of course, there are many causes of low urinary tract disease in cats. Cats do, like us, get bacterial infections. They get urinary stones. Um, they get tumours. They get all sorts of problems. But actually, the most common cause of uh, low urinary tract disease in cats is this condition called feline idiopathic cystitis. And the word idiopathic um, means uh, we don't know what the cause is. Um, or as it was better worded, I think, by Dr. House in the TV series, he said idiopathic means we're idiots because we don't understand the pathology. So it just means we don't really fully understand what causes it. However, in probably the last 10, 20 years, um, there has been more and more research on idiopathic cystitis that has shown us really how important stress is uh, as part of the story of, of what's causing these signs in, in the cats. And uh, in fact, uh, many of my colleagues um, now are starting to refer to this as not idiopathic cystitis, but actually stress cystitis. And I think there is a logic to that. Um, and I'll, I'm going to have a few slightly sciencey slides just for a very brief diversion to support this. Um, but knowing that many of you have a big interest in really understanding the science behind uh, what I, I tell you about. Um, but much of the really great work that's been done on idiopathic cystitis has been done in America and particularly at Ohio State University, where for many years the, the lead professor was someone called Tony Buffington. He's got other superb colleagues uh, who've also very much contributed to this research. And uh, in a paper 10 years ago, he actually described um, many cats with this idiopathic cystitis um, as actually um, in his view based on his research having what he refers to as a either a defective stress response system uh, or basically an inability to cope with stress and so these cats um, for whatever reason which I'll come on to in just a moment um, they're they're wiring internally from a neuronal and hormonal perspective is not quite right and it means that these cats cope poorly with stress and as a consequence of that stress they may show one or more of what he calls sickness behaviours, which I would say are clinical signs, or if you were talking about yourself, it would be symptoms. And these sickness behaviours uh, can include a variety of body systems. So it can include appetite changes, vomiting, diarrhoea, uh, fever, depression or lethargy. So the cat is just not quite right. But also, of course, urinary signs. This is idiopathic cystitis that we're talking about. And the hypothesis uh, that he came up with at this point was actually that the urinary signs in these cats were the bladder's response to stress. The way the bladder sort of showed that it was stressed was to have you know, blood in the urine, urgency, straining, all those signs that I've talked about. 
And uh, so he calls this Pandora syndrome, thinking of Pandora's box um, and uh, the, the sort of nasty things that were contained in that Pandora. Pandora's box. This is a sort of nasty condition where these cats have, you know, complex problems that means they don't cope very well with stress. And typically cats with this Pandora syndrome have had um, a history where something's not been quite right when they've been either uh, in their mum's womb so when they're developing in utero or or in early life so for example they may have been a hand-reared kitten an orphan kitten uh, they may have been you know a stray with a difficult time on the streets or a very overcrowded house with a lot of conflict um, but for for various reasons including genetics and also these environmental factors perhaps their their nervous system their hormonal system that deals with stress doesn't develop quite properly and then you have this cat that is vulnerable to showing these sickness behaviors when they're stressed and typically what you'll see is as well that these cats can be happy and they can be fine if they're in a sort of stress-free place but if they're in a stressful environment it just you know brings out these clinical signs including the idiopathic cystitis. So the signs might be waxing and waning, worse when certain stressful things are happening, uh, for example. And um, this, again, is just a bit more about the sort of our current understanding of, you know, what's behind it scientifically. So genetic factors, stress when the kitten's developing in, in the womb, so in utero and in early life um, and their early socialization as well, that all these things can have an impact on their ability to cope with and deal with stress. And so the end result, very simplistically, is that you have a cat um, that on the outside looks, looks perfectly fine. And actually, if that cat is in a stress-free environment, then it also might be completely fine in terms of its health. Um, but it has this underlying vulnerability, this underlying inability to handle stress as effectively as some of its uh, uh, other peers, if, if uh, we were to put it like that. But then if you put this vulnerable, susceptible cat into a slightly stressful situation, so I've just added a, a dog and a small child to, to be a bit of a cliche examples of stress, that for that cat, that just could be too much for it to cope with. And then you may see these sickness behaviors like the idiopathic cystitis. So that might resonate, for example, if you've had a cat where your cat is fine, but if you ever have visitors or, you know, the grandchildren come over, uh, actually that cat is, is quite stressed. And one of the ways that might show is in these lower urinary tract signs. So I think that's a really good example of how stress at home is really important for us to consider. Obviously, some cats more than others. Some cats, you know, are absolutely fine with little children and dogs, for example. But some of our cats do find it difficult and also find it difficult going into the clinic. So again, I'm not talking about the clinic today, but just uh, another example of uh, how stress can manifest in that this cat here, you can see is on the scales being weighed at the vet clinic. And it, it sort of looks, if you weren't if you were just looking very briefly you may think oh has the cat gone to sleep on the scales but actually as you can see if you look a bit more closely this cat looks very tense its ear position is very much attuned to the environment its eyes don't they're closed but they don't look very relaxed and this cat is I think trying to hide it's trying to get away from the vet practice but it can't physically get away so it's trying to sort of pretend a bit like a, a toddler when they cover their eyes and they think they're invisible this cat's hoping it's invisible perhaps I'm not really here it's not really as bad as I think it is so it's it's trying to hide to cope with stress. 
So back to the home, what can we as carers do to sort of try and identify signs of, of uh, uh, stress in our home and what sort of things might be stressful for our cats at home? And I, I think really this list won't be a surprise to you but any change in routine anything that sort of uh, upsets the the normal status quo in the house is potentially stressful to the cat and again not every cat but some cats more than others so things like moving house having a builders in or decorators in uh, change in, in perhaps your work life so if you're a shift worker and the shift time changes you might find you know some cats find that a little bit unsettling um, and interestingly um, uh, COVID of course has really changed people's routines and behaviours in that many of us have been working much more at home therefore much more with our cats and actually in general I think that's probably been positively received by most cats but for some households particularly probably when homeschooling was going on maybe actually that was quite stressful for the cats to have a house full of people all the time and maybe less opportunity for them to to go and hide and uh, remove themselves from that. Um, some of you may have seen that uh, because we shared this survey a little while ago Siva who who make the cat pheromone preparations fairly way etc have uh, uh, had a survey up I think it is probably closed now to um, UK participants but um, many of you hopefully uh, might have seen this through through our newsletters and Facebook posts and uh, if you have participated in that then uh, I will be analysing the data from that um, in the next few weeks and presenting to a vet group uh, at the end of June so hopefully after that I'll be able to share the data also with you and let you know what people's experience has been of uh, life in a pandemic from a, a cat owner perspective. Um, bad weather definitely can have a, a real impact on cats as well so we don't see a lot of snow in Edinburgh but I put this video in this was uh, actually um, a babysitter uh, that uh, I use um, shared this video of her cat and the, the cat is outside and you know again initially perhaps looking briefly at the video it's just walking through the snow and then you say oh actually this cat is trying to posture to urinate it's trying to to have a wee but it's obviously um a little bit uh, uh uncertain as to the snow it's not life is not normal it's not much fun trying to to perhaps go to the loo in the snow um, and there is some hesitancy and eventually the cat actually does seem to to uh, pass urine and, and that's okay and this cat was not ill in any way however if you have again your cat with um, Pandora syndrome the cat that's vulnerable to stress then having some snow outside and you know it's not going to be it's not as nice to to go outside to go to the loo um, if that cat does not have a litter tray then you know that that potentially is quite stressful for that cat and that might be the time where you would see perhaps some um, idiopathic cystitis lower urinary tract signs as a consequence of that stress. So how can we recognise clues of stress in our cats at home? Well, probably the key message, and it's, it's a message that often comes across really with feline medicine in general, is that often cats don't make it obvious for us. They don't, they don't spell it out. They don't obviously leave us a note saying, I'm a bit unhappy at the moment. Um, signs can be quite subtle so we need to sort of be attuned to our cats um, and I would say as with healthcare really if you see a change in your cat 
and uh, you've noticed that something is a bit different, then always feel free to share that information with your vet clinic because it can be hard to know as a carer whether or not something is significant. Um, but of course, as a vet, there are certain clues and things that we look out for and hopefully your vet clinic can then advise you as to whether there is likely to be anything to worry about. From a stress perspective, it's things like the cat perhaps hiding or being more withdrawn, um, particularly if perhaps there are cats it doesn't get on well with in the house or other animals it doesn't get on well with or perhaps, you know, small children or other people that the cat doesn't get on well with. Uh, it may start to withdraw itself and find places to hide in the home. Toileting accidents can happen. Uh, irrespective of this idiopathic cystitis. Um, so cats can have toileting accidents just really related to stress. Um, when it is associated with more significant lower urinary tract disease, often you will see um, bloody urine. And the picture on the left here shows this poor cat. It has uh, access to a litter box, but it's also passing small amounts of very blood-stained urine on the, on the base of the kennel in which it's staying in the hospital. And that clearly is something that you would quickly noticed that was abnormal. But also we can have toileting accidents in the home that perhaps, you know, initially might be less easy to spot where the carpet or the bed or other soft furnishings are affected. Picture on the right hand side is a lo lovely one of uh, Vicky Hall's uh, feline behaviourists. Um, and you can see that the curtains here are very urine stained. And, and that actually might be because we've got this more sort of vertical affected area. So it's, it's the curtain rather than the floor, um, perhaps because of urine spray and urine spraying is a scent marking um, uh, procedure that cats will do um, which um, doesn't usually occur in the home but if the cat is feeling very stressed and territorial that might be something that you see in the home um, of course more common as well in unneutered male cats uh, particularly as well but there are not so many of them in most of our pet cat households and it can be very damaging and very unpleasant for you to live with. So vertical surfaces like walls, uh, the door in this uh, picture on this slide and the curtains um, would tend to make you think about spraying of urine, that scent marking urine as a possibility. Whereas horizontal surfaces like your carpet or perhaps your bed or, the, or sofas, uh, the floor um, are would fall into what we would call um, periuria. So uh, this is just means passing urine outside the litter box and if the cat has urinary disease as in it has cystitis then it typically is going to be a small volume of urine in these locations but if there are other causes including stress it may be a normal volume of that urine just in what we might call an inappropriate location and we used to indeed uh, refer to this as inappropriate urination but that is a term which um, we, we should try not to use certainly behaviorists encourage us not to use because it's not inappropriate from the cat's perspective it's you know perfectly appropriate in their mind it's just to us it's obviously not appropriate for our cat to pee on our bed for example but periuria is is the sort of better medical term or even just a toileting accident 
And so on these horizontal surfaces where that's happening, as I say, urinary tract disease is, of course, an important rule out. Also, the cat that, again, doesn't have a litter box, perhaps, but has arthritis, it's finding it difficult to go outside or has kidney disease, therefore is very thirsty, passing large volumes of urine, might not quite make it to the litter box in time. All of these things can be causes of these toileting accidents as well. But stress is very much an important consideration. Another manifestation of stress for cats can be scratching more. Um, again, scratching is a normal cat behavior. So it is um, actually there are scent uh, glands within the uh, between the toes. And so the cat scratching is, is passing its scent onto those places. So it's part of a normal sort of territorial marking. And many cats will have certain places they like scratching in their gardens, for example, if, if there are other cats in the neighborhood. And it's a way of saying, you know, this is my, my territory. Um, and within the home, uh, of course, we often and I think should offer scratching posts and other surfaces that we're happy for our cats to scratch in a similar way. But if you find your cat is doing a lot more scratching, that can be uh, perhaps a sign of stress as well. And many of us have more than one cat and conflict between cats can be a sign of stress as well and indeed a cause of stress as well. And that's something that I'll spend a little bit of time talking about because it, it really can be quite hard sometimes to tell how well or otherwise cats get on. Um, so I think it's useful just to, to talk about how we try and uh, work out whether cats are, are friends or perhaps not friends. Um, and if you have multiple cats, um, it's useful to work out within your group of cats as a whole, whether there perhaps are groups of cats that like each other, what we would call a social group. And if you have um, more than one social group, and that helps you to then plan how many resources, things like food, water, litter, uh, litter trays, etc., that you have in the house, because we need to make sure that all of those groups have access to resources and they can't be prevented from accessing those resources by other cats they don't get along with. So um, a useful way of assessing whether your cats get on or not is to look at their behaviour uh, in terms of whether you see signs of affiliative behaviour. This is positive sort of loving or friendly behaviour um, or whether you see signs of conflict. So examples of affiliative behaviour include the cats that sort of sleep together, that groom together, that cuddle up together, that do these little nose to nose greetings, that chirrup, that they do this sort of noise when they see each other, little greeting, playing together, taking turns in the playing. So it's not just one cat chasing the other cat always. Um, all these sorts of things will help to tell you that, you know, you're seeing positive behaviour in your cats, whereas signs of conflict um, can be quite subtle. And that is something really important to be aware of. But you're looking for perhaps the cats that you never see them together. They're never in the same room. Perhaps they timeshare certain areas of the house. One of them is upstairs in the morning and then spends the outside uh, afternoon outside. The other one is upstairs in the afternoon. Um, so they, they're not really overlapping in their space. They're not choosing to spend time together. Um, and if you do see signs of conflict, it might just be one cat staring at another. So if you have, for example, a cat flap, one cat might just sit in front of the cat flap, which stops the other cat from using it there may be no uh, growling hissing or overt aggression but that cat is blocking that resource uh, but of course you can see more overt signs of conflict as well such as that growling hissing etc 
So having sort of had a little brief insight as to what these affiliative behaviours and signs of conflict might be, then if you write down the names of the, the cats in your house on a piece of paper, you can then observe them. And if you see positive affiliative behaviour, um, perhaps as in this example, do a green arrow going from the cat that is initiating it to the cat that's receiving it. So you can see Sooty and Twizzle seem to be quite friendly. Sooty, Sooty loves Twizzle, Twizzle loves Sooty. Um, and then if you see any signs of conflict, conflict, that is a red arrow. And you can see that, that poor Hobie here, uh, oopsie, just mute. Uh, people poor Hobie is um he's he's Billy no mates he's got no friends and he's very grumpy towards Sooty and Twizzle um so we have two social groups we've got three cats but we've got two social groups and it's really important that we cater for that number of uh, animals in the home to make sure that we don't uh inadvertently um exacerbate tensions between them so if we look at just some uh, still images uh, briefly, for examples, um, I, I won't ask you to actually answer this question, but I think that you can see these cats, they're, they're on the sofa together, they're wrapped in each other's arms. Uh, one is, is looks like they sort of possibly has been or about to groom the other. These are cats that love each other. So these are in the same social group. Um, but if we look at this picture, it's a bit of a different story. We've got four cats all looking in different directions, a bit like they're, you know, maybe pretending that they're the only cat there. They're not really acknowledging each other in any way. Um, and in fact, this was a very busy household with a lot of cats um, and a lot of uh, tension between the cats. And these cats really, are, and they're not in the same social group. So we need to make sure we, we do cater for their individual needs. Um, this last picture is, is a bit of a trickier one, put in deliberately for this reason. So um, you can see we've got two cats here. Um, in fact, this is uh, Hobie and Sooty from the previous social grouping uh, diagram. And uh, you can see that they're actually both in a small place. They're on a, a sort of a pillow, which has got a fleecy blanket on it. And they are next to each other. They are actually touching each other, uh, although they possibly couldn't be further apart whilst still touching each other and I took this photo because in fact um, throughout the five years these cats were in in the house together uh, this photo and this photo were the only times I could actually get them in the same photo at the same time because they really were not friends and uh, this photo rather amusingly I, I sort of uh, caption it um, united against a common enemy because that picture was taken on the evening that um, I came home, home from hospital with our first child so first introduction of the baby and obviously there was a lot of uh, excitement in the household and relatives and friends and all sorts of you know stressful things happening and and for whatever reason the two cats ended up uh you know sitting on this pillow together but it was very unlike their normal behavior um and uh, in, in real life uh, say the rest of the time they were they were hardly to be seen together they were definitely not friends 
So it is uh, actually sometimes a bit difficult to tell whether cats are in the same social group because signs of conflict often actually are not seen. You know, Hobie occasionally growled and grumbled, but there were no overt fights between him and Sooty. Um, so sometimes you do need to look carefully. And also sometimes it can be hard because, for example, I talked about sharing food bowls as being a, a sort of positive sign that cats get on well with each other. But in this right-hand picture here, you can see lots of cats from this household eating simultaneously. And you could say, well, they're all eating next to each other. They, they, they must get on quite well. But actually, that's the only way they could get food was if they ate it there and then. Because if they didn't eat their portion of food at this mealtime, it was gone. Someone else would eat it. Um, so sharing a food bowl in this situation, it's not really the cat's choice. It's just necessity. There's a really lovely video, which I won't play in its entirety, um, but if you search for uh, cats protection, are your cats friends or foes? I think this is a really lovely video that just goes through the sorts of things I've been talking about with these little cartoon cats, whether they are grooming each other happily or whether they are time sharing resources. So not never in the same place at, at the same time, but uh, sharing things between them um, and also goes through how to, you know, some tips for um, minimizing tension within the household. So it, it's a really nice resource uh, uh, to look at um, and uh, refer to should you have an interest. I love this bit where they have the cats on two floors of the house, one upstairs and one downstairs glowering at each other. So other clues of stress that we might see are appetite changes and I guess a bit like ourselves if we're really stressed sometimes we just can't eat anything and other times we just compulsively will uh, speaking for myself perhaps eat you know a whole packet of biscuits when we shouldn't do and the same very much true of cats so eating more and eating less can be a manifestation of stress and grooming changes as well so not really a video that is representative for that but this just the kittens uh, grooming each other um, but over grooming is definitely something that can be um, I think a bit of a distraction activity for cats that are feeling stressed um, and uh, it can be something that uh, perhaps they do to try and take their mind off stress so you might notice that uh, within your household as well. So finally, what can we do to minimise stress in just very gen general terms? What are the sort of top tips that I would have uh, for you? Well, firstly, it is that resource provision, really. So the key resources that our cats need include, of course, their food, their water, somewhere to rest, somewhere to hide, uh, ability to play. Um, they like, uh, obviously, a scratching post. They love being able to have uh, opportunity to have a good view if they don't have outside. Um, and, uh, and the litter box, of course. All these things are really essential resources that our cats have to have access to. So we need to make sure that they do have access to all of those things and there's not an ability for other cats to prevent that so an awareness of that is a good start the cat flap's difficult to multiply up if you have cats that do sit and block the cat flap but you can't probably justify having five cat flaps but you can I think justify having perhaps you know five water bowls or five food bowls and a key thing as well is that if you're having this extra number of resources and the perfect would be one per cat plus one extra but if you've got a lot of cats that obviously can become practically impossible um, but for example if you have two cats and can make sure you have at least three water bowls um, 
then um, you are helping to sort of reduce any stress associated with with access to those resources and of key importance as well is to mention that if you do have for example three water bowls they're not in a little row next to each other they're in three different locations because a group of water bowls is one location so if you have let's say three litter boxes having three litter boxes in a row to a cat is one toileting location it's not three toileting locations the litter boxes are, of course, especially important. Um, often I feel that litter boxes and the substrates that are available, the litters that are available for us to buy can be more orientated to, towards the people in the house than the cat. Um, so, for example, very perfumed litters, you know, the cat would not choose that in general. Uh, their choice from what we know th through behavior, behavioral studies and their expertise is that cats tend to prefer a fine sandy consistency litter. So a sort of sandy texture that's comfortable to stand on, but also a great advantage as uh, any of you that have been to previous sessions will know I've said this before, is if you have a clumping litter, it's also brilliant for understanding uh, how much uh, urination is going on in that tray and whether or not you have one cat or multiple cats you can get an idea of of uh, you know what your normal daily expectation is and therefore if there's any sign of problems from a location perspective somewhere quiet somewhere calm just again think of ourselves we like privacy cats like privacy so somewhere where they they can't be ambushed as well so the covered litter boxes some cats like but some cats have an anxiety over those covered trays because it can be a little bit of an ambush opportunity as you come out um, so all these things to, to really factor in but think of the cat so avoid the perfumed avoid the litter tray liners as well in general they're, they're not too popular with the cats and lastly would be having a big enough tray so uh, there are a lot of litter boxes on the market that are not that big we want a litter box that is big enough for the cat to be able to turn around comfortably have a good old dig so it should ideally be at least one and a half times the length of the cat from its nose to the base of its tail so for a Maine Coon cat that's that's pretty huge and it might be difficult to actually source from pet suppliers although they are I think getting better if you do have instances where there is any um, urination outside the litter box, and you can see a really horrendous example here, which I, I should have credited to Vicky Halls, but I forgot to put that on there. But this is one of Vicky's photos of a really badly damaged area of carpet. Um, but if a cat does urinate on, on a carpet or other soft furnishings, then various scents within their urine um, will often linger there, even if you if you clean it in a fairly rigorous sort of way and those scents will then tell the cat in future oh yeah that's a toilet you know it's like a, a unfortunately a bit of a validation of that site that they chose so cleaning the area is really important if you do have these um, episodes of, of periurea to make sure that you reduce the likelihood of it happening again and this regime which uh, Vicky Halls uh, shared with me many years ago is, is what she recommends where you use a biological product to break down those scent marking proteins within the urine as much as possible um, you clean that and then you rinse it and then some surgical alcohol as well uh, to help again destroy any uh, proteins that are there destroy those scent proteins and there are various products that you can use after that that help to take away some of the smell so urine off would be uh, uh, one of the sort of brand leaders but um, I'm sure there are plenty of others and there may be people who can share their top tips for removing this, the, the smell as well 
Um, if you can, with areas that have been urinated on, uh, prevent access to that spot for at least a while, um, then to allow the cat to sort of forget, if you like, that it's been there, then that's helpful. So if it's a corner of the room, you might be able to rearrange your furniture, perhaps put you know the sofa on top of that area so the cat can't access it. With a doorway like this, that's obviously much harder, um, but um, that, that can help break the cycle. And to be honest, if you have a carpet that looks like this, you probably are going to have to replace it. It's, it's probably looks like this there's been multiple problems on uh, multiple occasions. Any of you who that, that have come to previous sessions will know I've talked about pheromones before and pheromonotherapy. Um, so this is using synthetic versions of these chemicals that cats use to signal messages to, to themselves and each other um, that are available in a, a synthetic form. And SIVA, uh, the, the company, has really done a lot of very high-powered research to produce these products. And Felloway Classic is, is the, the original Felloway, if you like, which is a synthetic preparation of the pheromone that cats produce in their cheek glands so when they rub on you or they rub on your leg or the wall uh, they are rubbing this pheromone that says yeah I feel okay this is a reassuring nice place to be I'm I, I feel happy here um, sometimes called the familiarization pheromone um, and uh, indeed as I put on this slide you know as part of management of conditions where there is a stress association like idiopathic cystitis I will recommend that where possible a Felloway diffuser, this plug-in that looks like a, an air freshener but we can't smell it, just the cats can, that will just help the cat to feel yeah it's okay everything's all right here and, and used alongside that extra resource provision it just can help to uh, smooth that recovery. Felloway also comes in a little spray, that's the top picture, that is not to use on the cat but it is to use on resources that the cat might use and so it's very helpful for example prior to going to a vet clinic to spray into an empty cat carrier um, and then it again leaves that signals of yes this is an okay place to be. The reason we don't spray it on the cat ever is because it has an, a, an alcohol carrier uh, which um, dissipates after about 15-20 minutes but you the cat would not like it to have that alcohol carrier sprayed onto it so you spray it onto the bedding uh, or spray it into the carrier and then introduce the cat 20 minutes later. Siva also produced a product a few years ago called Felloway Friends, which is a different synthetic pheromone preparation. It's, it's what's called the appeasement pheromone, which is produced by the mammary area of the mummy cat when she's feeding her kittens so that the kittens all close to each other as they feed uh, are not feeling in conflict with each other. So it's a sort of settling conflict between cats pheromone. And it's um, there are some studies that have been published with this. It's really helpful for situations where there's known to be conflict in the household. So also called the harmony marker. And then more recently, uh, Felloway Optimum, I think about six months ago now that this was launched in the UK. Um, and this is supposed to be now the absolutely sort of creme de la creme, pinnacle of all pheromone complexes in that they now understand more about the pheromone receptor that, that detects the Felloway Classic and the Felloway Friends. And they've made a, a sort of uh, supreme Felloway uh, preparation that combines more effectively with that receptor and does 
a better job of both the, the harmony and the familiarization aspects of uh, Felloway. So this is now considered to be the gold standard uh, Felloway and the one that uh, actually I think is very similar in cost uh, as well, but this is the one that I would say is the one to use if you don't currently have any Felloway in your household. There are also some things that we can use um, to help particularly stressy cats. Um, there are some nutritional supplements and some diets that are aimed at cats that, you know, are perhaps a little bit more prone to stress. Um, again, some of these products have been orientated towards cats with urinary disease because of the known association between stress and idiopathic cystitis. So one example would be uh, Hills uh, launched a diet a few years ago called uh, Hills CD Stress. CD is their urinary diet. So it's designed to also minimize minimize stone formation and crystal formation in fact can dissolve certain stones as well but they added some extra compounds in into it some l-tryptophan which is a precursor of serotonin a sort of feel-good substance in the body and uh, milk hydrolysate which is alpha casosapine and that binds to one of the GABA receptors and again can help alleviate stress and anxiety and there are some publications that indicate this is beneficial it's they're not drugs um, and the benefits you know perhaps uh, small but can be significant to some cats I've certainly had uh, some owners who really feel that feeding either the calm diet which is a royal canin version or the CD stress really made a big impact on their cats and you can get also uh, supplements of the L-tryptophan and uh, alpha casosapine separately so zilkeen would be one example that's alpha casosapine and some people will find these helpful for example prior to stressful periods so if the cat's going into a cattery perhaps we'll start some zilkeen therapy and that will have a little bit of an impact. So that's that's all I was going to say um, in this session. I think the key messages really for me are that unfortunately stress it does affect cats as well as ourselves and cats don't always make it very obvious to us you know we and we can't sit down and have a chat with them sadly but there are some clues that we can see that can be really helpful in understanding whether or not stress is likely to be a factor and also just understanding what makes a cat happy um, so looking at uh, some of the the resources that we provide in the house um, and making sure that there are plenty of these resources so there's no competition can really have a massive impact in terms of their quality of life and their stress levels in the home. As usual, there are more resources on the website and one of the previous Cat Cafe sessions that, that might fit in nicely with this um, is there were a series actually of uh, sessions on lower urinary tract disease um, and uh, one specifically on toileting accidents that uh, you might find helpful if you've had to deal with that. Um, but as I mentioned, next time I'll talk about uh, the vet visit side of things. So. Um, what stress does to our cats at the clinic you know so how it sadly makes a vet's life more complicated and I'm not meaning by any sort of aggression here I'm meaning more confusing our our uh, clinical examination and diagnostic assessment because like ourselves stress increases blood pressure in cats for example and it also has other impacts on uh, clinical and laboratory data um, but also importantly of course how can we tackle that how can we reduce it and uh, make life as smooth and stress-free as possible for our cats.
So thank you very much for listening. I will now have a look in uh, the comments box. I saw that it looked like there was a lot, lot of action going on there, um, which I, I was ignoring, but I will go and have a look at it now and, and we can hopefully have some good discussions. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks again for listening to this session. For more information, please visit vetprofessionals.com. You can find YouTube recordings of all Cat Cafe sessions on the video tutorials page. To find the video tutorials page, click on the helpful info menu on the home page. Don't forget that you can attend future Cat Cafe sessions live and have the opportunity to ask me questions and show me you and your cat on video if you like. You can read more about how to access these sessions on the video tutorials page of the website. Lastly, if you found this podcast helpful, don't forget to subscribe and add a review. Thank you.